0: Today's uh, reading is taken from John uh, chapter 21, verses 1 to 19. Uh, The words will be on the screen behind us, um, but if you could follow along, that would be fantastic. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered to him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He said to him the third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's just bow our heads and and pray before John uh, comes to teach on this passage. Dear God, we just want to thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is true and it's constant and we know that there is so much truth in there and, and so much knowledge of you that we need in our lives, Lord. And so I pray that you would help us just to um, to be able to, uh, to read it and to take uh, your truth into our lives, I pray. We thank you, Lord, that uh, it shows us the character of God is never changing, Lord, that you are the same from the beginning to the end. You are constant. Your love for us stretches through all eternity. And Lord, we acknowledge this morning that like Peter, that we deny you like thomas that we doubt you but lord you welcome us with outstretched arms because of what you did on the cross and because of your resurrection we don't deserve such grace in our lives lord but you offer it freely to us and so this morning we just want to say uh, thank you and we want to declare that we are not worthy of your grace but lord we accept it readily because we love you lord jesus I just want to pray this morning, Lord, for our church congregation. I pray, Lord, for those that are unwell. Lord, I pray that you would heal them, Lord Jesus. I pray for those that are struggling, Lord. I pray that you would be their comforter, that you would be their rod and staff in times of struggle, Lord, and you would be their rock that you promised to be. Lord, I pray that you would equip us with your holy spirit to speak the gospel in every situation we find ourselves in and work in social life wherever it might be we pray for this town we thank you for the other churches in this town i pray lord that you be equipping them also with your holy spirit to to bring the good news of the gospel to this town of wrath and beyond lord we pray for our children in the kids spaces now we pray for those that are teaching them give them clarity help them to to teach our kids uh, in the authority that is given through the bible lord and in your holy spirit i pray for receptive hearts and we do pray for john as he comes to teach you teach us shortly lord i pray that you would um, give him clarity help him to preach what is in this word and this is in this word alone and i pray that you would help us to have ears that are um just wanting to to be uh, instructed by your words and your words alone so, Lord, I just pray that we would uh, just finish with a short prayer here. Glorious God, out of your love and mercy, you breathed into dust the breath of life, creating us to serve you and our neighbors. In repentance, restore us to us the joy of our salvation and strengthen us to face our mortality, that we may reach with confidence for your mercy in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and
1: forever amen amen thanks john morning everyone good morning Uh, good to be with you today as we are going through god's word together today we are finishing our series in the gospel of john Uh, it has been a bit of a journey but we've reached the end and next week we'll be starting a series in the book of james so we're finishing off john's gospel today and now I want to begin today by asking you a question to which I want, uh, I want a show of hands. And when I usually say I want a show of hands, some of you think that's optional, right? It's not. It's I want you to be honest in here, in church, I want you to be honest and, and put up a hand if this is you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever or who has ever let anyone down? Jeff, you're lying, <laughs> right? I think it's fair to say that everybody has let someone down. If you didn't put up your, ta- if you didn't put up your hand, I'm just going to test you. Have you ever been late to church? Well, then, you've let me down, you've let your family down, and most of all, you've let yourself down. No, I'm joking. And with that good deal of guilt poured on you now, I'm going to give you good news (laughs) because we don't know the good news unless we have a good weight of guilt on ourselves, right? So today we're looking at a story of restoration after someone letting someone down. And this someone wasn't just anyone. This is Peter, Jesus' disciple, letting him down. And what we see in verse 21 is Peter, or, or chapter 21, Peter being restored. Jesus restoring Peter to the position of apostle. It's a beautiful story. He begins like this, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? It's Jesus looking into the eyes of Peter and asking the question, do you love me? That's a, it's a searching question. Uh, Imagine if we were to look into the eyes of Jesus and he was to ask us that same question. It's pointed, it is specific, do you love me? Bear in mind here that Peter had left Jerusalem. He's gone about a hundred miles north of Jerusalem, back to Galilee where he was from, and he's gone back to his way of life. He's gone back to what he was doing beforehand. He's gone back to fishing. Peter and the rest of the disciples had been following Jesus for three years now, just over three years. They had given up everything that they had known and that they were, they were following. They were giving their lives to follow Jesus. Peter is reportedly thought to be a, a married man, presumably with a family, and he had left that, and he had went and devoted his life to following Jesus for three years. Jesus has died, and then he's revealed himself after the resurrection to the disciples in the upper room. He's disappeared again, and Peter has gone home, gone back to his former way of life, still in the knowledge—bear this in mind as we go through this—still in the knowledge that he denied Christ three times publicly. Up until this point, nothing has been said to, to, to ease his conscience. Nothing has been said to make him feel better. It's in his head that he has denied Christ three times, but he's back. He's back to where he was, his former way of life. You could very easily understand why John, the writer of the gospel, would close the gospel in chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, look at the end of chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 30. This is how uh, chapter 20, verse 30 ends out this chapter. It says this, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, and this is the very purpose of the the gospel. So John gives us the purpose of writing his gospel at the end of chapter 20, which we've reminded ourselves the whole way through this series. This is the purpose, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose. What a way to finish Chapter 20, we're done. We're out. Full stop. Awesome. Jesus has risen. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. We're told the purpose of the book. Just close it up, John. We're done. But no, we have chapter 21. Why do we have chapter 21? Well, God, in His infinite wisdom, gives us chapter 21 for a purpose because in this book, he doesn't simply want to tell us about the gospel, but he wants to also tell us what discipleship looks like, what real following of Jesus actually looks like. He wants to tell us what it looks like in person, and what better person to show us that what, what real discipleship looks like is failing, fumbling Peter. He could have ended on the high note, but then he shows us what it is to be a disciple. Peter, who had catastrophically denied Jesus publicly three times in the open courtyard during the night of Jesus' betrayal. That's why we have chapter 21. And Peter, in verse 3, says here, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And he's not saying that. Bear in mind what's going on in his head. He's back to his former way of life. Jesus has disappeared again. Uh, he's back to his former way of life, fishing. He's not just saying, I'm going fishing, as in I'm fed up. I need my head cleared. I- I'm going just a b- I need a bit of space. It's not the loud thing to do. Like, I just need a bit of space. Like, if things aren't going well for me, I just like, it's not like me saying, right, I'm away from spinning the bike. It's not like that what peter is saying here when he's saying i'm going fishing is what he means is that this is his way of earning a living he's going back to work this was the job that he did this is the way he made his money this is the way that he provided for his family if you were to ask peter what do you what 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 do you do i'm a fisherman Just the way, you know, if you were to ask some of us what we do, we'd be a joiner, doctor, teacher, whatever we do. He's saying, I am a fisherman. I'm going to fish. Because this is what I know. This is what I do. I can catch fish. And we have to understand the significance of what Peter's saying here. And what he's saying is this, I've failed i have failed i have failed jesus i have failed the lord i'm not going to ask for a show of hands this time but i'm sure the most of us in the room can identify with that i'm sure the most of us can identify with what it means to fail jesus and I don't mean in just some menial task, but I mean in our discipleship, to, to, to promise Jesus something. Do you remember what Peter promised him? Even though they all fall away, not me. Even though the rest of the disciples will leave you, not me. Who? How, how many of us have, have made a promise to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you know what? Messed up, I'll never do it again. And give us an hour. And we do the same thing all over again we know what this feels like. But Peter, as I say, just the, the public nature of his fall, to be so brazen in his backing of Jesus and then to fall so dramatically, you know, that sense of failure can cripple some people. If, if we had, some of us, if, if we had done what Peter had done, we would never show our face again would You know, if we had so brazenly said, okay, Jesus, this is what I'm going to do for you. I say you get up here at the front, and I, I do it every Sunday, so I should know, but this is what we're going to do for you, and, and, then, and then fall. Some of us would never show our face again. Some people would never get over it. Some people would be in counseling the rest of their life. They couldn't get up in the morning. They couldn't get through the day without this crippling, debilitating thought that they had let Jesus down. How could Peter be an apostle? How could God ever do anything with him, considering what he had done? And so Peter says, I'm going fishing. At least I know something about that. At least I, I can guarantee you I'll, I'm good at that. I know I can go out in the boat and I'll be away of my own, nobody to bother me, nobody to hassle me, and I'm good at it. I'll be able to do it. He knew the Sea of Galilee really, really well. It's not that big. You could stand on one side of it and see the other, and this was his life. He had spent his life growing up around it. He knew the weather patterns. He knew where the storms would come from. He knew where the storms would go. He knew where the fish would be. He knew this place inside out, and he thinks to himself, right, I'll do this because this is what I'm good at. I'm going fishing as i say basically what he's saying here is i failed and now i'm just going to get on with the rest of my life put my head down and just get on with it maybe that is you maybe that is your story maybe you think you failed in some dramatic way or something or you've let jesus down and you've just said right okay that's enough I will not put my head above the parapet again and just keep my head down and keep going. But Jesus is going to teach Peter a lesson. And I don't mean that in a, a, he's going to be harsh on him, but he's going to teach him a lesson. And it's a wonderful lesson. It's a humbling lesson. It is a painful lesson. And it's this. So you imagine, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And he goes out into the lake. And what happens? can't even catch any fish the one thing that he thought he was good at he can't even do that he can't even do that why is that because jesus wouldn't allow it jesus wouldn't allow it because that is not what jesus wanted him to do and so he forbids him catching any fish And and, and we could think it would be a frustrating thing, but it's a real grace. Trust me, it is a real grace because, in a sense, what Peter is doing is running away. He is running from the problem. He is burying his head in the sand. He's wanting to go back to his old way of life. And it's as though Jesus is saying, No, you will not catch one fish without my permission. Unless I allow it, you will not catch one thing and when I do allow it, you will catch more than you ever dreamed of, but it will only be when I allow it. 153 is the number. But John makes it very, very clear, even as you read through the text, that Jesus is making a point. He says, bring the fish that you've caught, because they're going to have breakfast. I don't know about you, but if you think about this if you think about what has happened you think about Peter you think about his fall and you think of all that's happened Jesus calls them in after they're catching this fish and he says bring some fish we're going to have breakfast isn't it a real like picture of the way that God treats us come on lad. come on I know you've messed up let's go for breakfast his grace is unbelievable side note if I know Cornerstone, uh, anyway, I think I do. I know we all love food. And so uh, it's a good indication that there will be breakfast in heaven. All right? That's just that's a side note. Jesus wanted to have breakfast with the lads. I do believe there will be breakfast in heaven. So relax. Don't despair. But if you look at the story, there's an interesting little thing that, that could, could be very easily overlooked that John points out. Jesus says to them, come in, bring your fish. But what's already there? Look, look, look at this. Look at the story. You, you'll see, it's, it's a very easy thing to just overlook. Jesus says, bring the fish, right? So they cast, I'll, I'll read through. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment as Peter would do, Uh, as he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. With what? With fish already on it. Where did they come from? It's almost as if Jesus is rubbing rubbing it in a little bit on Peter. He's saying, you've been out there all this time, you haven't caught nothing. And I'm sitting here on the beach with the charcoal fire with the fish already on it, cooking. What does this this tell us? This tells us, it it, it signifies something about God's supply and his governance of our lives. It's almost as if he's saying, Peter, listen, you you have had nothing to do with any of this. I will supply your need. I will provide for you. You have nothing to do with it. Jesus puts these parameters around our lives, and he's he's saying, Peter, you're trying to run away. You're trying to run away, but I will not allow it. I won't allow it. I've got something for you to do. And I don't know about you, but I find this extremely encouraging. Peter here has let the Savior down. He's let Jesus down, and Jesus is saying, I will not let you run away. I won't allow it. Peter's rolling back to his former life because he he thinks that's going to be the answer. And Jesus says, no, that's not the answer. Going off by yourself and having a pity party is not the answer. Every step of the way, Jesus is watching over Peter, putting these parameters around him, saying, I have something for you to do. Even though you've messed up, even though you continually make a mess of things, I love you, and I have something for you to do. And in order for that to happen, Jesus has to do something with him. And what he has to do with him is humble him. He has to humble him. Even though we read in Luke that Peter has met Jesus already, There's still humbling to be done in the life of Peter. Jesus is about to do that humbling. It's beautiful the way that Jesus sometimes just pricks the balloon of pride and just humbles us. It reveals how small we are. It reveals how we can do nothing without him. Peter couldn't even catch fish without Jesus. Peter couldn't do anything without the power and the help of the sovereign Jesus Christ. And at this point, I have one observation and two questions for us. The observation is this. When we sin and when we fall, which we will, God does not want us to run away, but he wants us to run too. He does not want us to run away, but He wants us to run too. Your natural inclination when you sin and when you fall, and when I sin and when I fall, is to run and hide. Think about the Garden of Eden. Think about Adam and Eve who walked with God in the cool of the day. When sin came into the world, what was their natural inclination? What was it? They ran and they hid. And God beautifully ran after them and called them back to himself, clothed them, showed his grace to them. And that's what he wants us to do. thats He does not want us to run away. He wants us to run towards him. You will not find grace. You will not find uh, forgiveness. You will not find any of the goodness of God anywhere other than running toward him. You won't find it by burying your head in the sand. You won't find it by running back to whatever you want to run back to. No, you'll find it in Jesus' arms. That's it but we have this natural inclination to run and hide. Jesus doesn't want that. That is the point of the gospel, folks. Jesus tells us who he came for. Who did he come for? Sinners who know they're sick and need a Savior. He Didn't come for perfect people. He came for sinners who know they need a Savior. So we need to run repeatedly back into his arms. That's the observation. Two questions. One, are you running? Are you running? Inevitably, I am 100% sure that there's someone, at least one in this room who is currently running. And what do we do when we run? Let's show show hands time again. Who of us when we sin and we fall stop reading the scriptures? Who when we sin and we fall stop praying? Why? We're trying to hide. We're trying to run. We're trying to bow our heads in the sand. That is not what God wants for you. God wants, what he wants, what he desperately desires is that as his children, when we fall and when we fail, we run into his arms. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So stop running and run towards. Second question, which is possibly an even harder question to ask ourselves is this, where do we need to be humbled? Where do we need to be humbled? God had to humble Peter. He had to bring him low. Where do we need to be humbled for God to use us? Only you can answer that question. But but, but I'm asking you, pray that prayer. Ask God to show you where you need to be humbled because here's my experience. Here's my life experience. It is better that you pray that prayer and, 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 and fix it yourself than him have to do it for you. It is a lot less painful when we pray that prayer. We get an answer. He shows us where we need to be humbled. We repent of that, and we turn to him in faith rather than him have to do it for us. So, are you running? Please stop and run towards. Second question, where do we need to be humbled? Ask that question. Hard question. Pray that prayer. So here we have Peter trying to run away. Jesus is just about to teach him this wonderful, wonderful lesson. And he's about to show them what real discipleship looks like. So they get onto the beach. They're about to have breakfast. And Jesus again asks them. When they had finished breakfast, love the way he let them eat first. He just let them stew over things for a wee while. You imagine being Peter round the fire, with Jesus, eating your breakfast, and you know it's going to come up. It's that awkward conversation. Jesus is going to bring it up. You know it's going to happen. He's going to say to me something about the denial, isn't he? Yes, he is. But look at the way, even the way Jesus does it. It's not harsh. It's not critical. It's loving. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than thee? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. And he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And you can you can sense Peter getting irritated. You can sense there's a bit of like, why do you keep asking me these things? Why do you keep pressing why do you, you I've I told you the first time, would you not, if I've told you the first time, surely you're going to take it the second time. No, you're going to, and it's as if Peter, it's, it, Peter it says here, was grieved when he said the third time. and You can sense that irritation, but, but, but sometimes, I think like us, it can take a wee moment for the penny just to drop. Like sometimes, I said in the first service, I'll say it again, like, sometimes at home group, we can tell a joke, and Carly, it takes a wee minute for the penny to drop, all right? <laughs> you can see it in her eyes, literally. You can see it. We'll tell a joke, everybody else will laugh, and Carly will be like, Oh god, god You can see it. You thought I wouldn't do it, so I told you I would. Uh, but that's what it's like. That's what we are like as people. Sometimes somebody can say something. Jesus can, like, say it right straight to our face, and we'll be like, hmm? He has to say it three times. Remember, Peter, you denied me publicly three times, so let me ask you publicly three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And, and, and I think we sense something of Peter's heart here. I don't know about you, but I think we have a soft spot for Peter. We love Peter. He's all mouth, and he's always putting his foot on it, but he has a great heart. He's, all, he's the boy. If, like, as we go back to what happened before, Jesus says, you'll all desert me. Not me, not me, definitely not me. I will not leave you. Even though they all flee, I'll not. I promise you I'll be here. What, does he ha- what happens here in the boat? Big fella. Jumps off the boat. He literally, he is stripped for work, puts on the coat, jumps into the water. That's Peter. We love Peter. He's not like the Apostle Paul. I'm not saying we don't love the Apostle Paul, but Paul is a different character. Paul's like black and white. I'm right. And he's right. Peter's the sort of guy you'd love to go for a coffee with because he's like us. He's like, yeah, you're messed up. I'm messed up. We can have a chat. It'd be brilliant. Paul, on the other hand, would just convict you. Paul would be like, you have to lay down your life for Christ. I know that, Paul, but I don't want to talk about it right now. I know you're right. So Peter, we love Peter. And we see something of Peter's heart here when he says, you know I love you. And, Folks, this is what real discipleship looks like. This is what it looks like. I love you, Lord. I love you, but boy, do I mess things up. I love you, but I know I mess up. I love you, but I know that I can let you down. And it's this tension of the Spirit and the flesh that the Apostle Paul will talk about later, and it's this tension of the Spirit and the flesh. Sometimes the Spirit wins, sometimes the flesh wins. That's what discipleship looks like. And we see it in Peter. I love you, but yes, I mess things up. what's the evidence of Peter loving Jesus? What's the evidence? Jesus says to Peter after he, after he gives him these three instructions. He says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, tend my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. What Jesus is doing here is he is reinstating Peter to the position of apostle. What he's doing is reinstating him to the position of pastor. He's calling him to lay his life down for Jesus. And the evidence of this is Peter's sincerity in stating that he loved Jesus. And look at what Jesus says to him in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter, as I said last week, uh, goes from this point to Pentecost, to preaching a sermon to 3,000 people and 3,000 people coming to know Jesus. Like, he would then go on, as tradition would tell us, to literally give up his life for Christ. He was to be crucified upside down outside the city of Rome because he did not want to be, he didn't feel worthy enough to be crucified the same way Jesus was. And this is what Jesus told him. He literally gave his life up for Jesus, for the gospel. See, this is what real discipleship looks like. Failing, fumbling, getting up again and going again. Failing and falling and getting up again and going again. Failing and falling and getting up in the grace of Christ every single time. And keep on going. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't let failure stop you. Don't let condemnation stop you. Don't let the fear of man stop you. Stop you stopping you. This is what the gospel is. This is what discipleship looks like. How many of us believe the the lie that one day soon, we're going to wake up and some sort of fairy dust has been poured over us in in the middle of the night and that day, we're going to be perfect. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Your life of discipleship, my life of discipleship will be one of falling and failing and getting up again in the grace of Christ and going again. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is but what is our responsibility as we as we move away from the restoration so the, here we have gloriously peter restored peter is restored called sent by king jesus himself right you would imagine in that moment you would think peter would be thinking to himself this is unbelievable i cannot believe he has he has called me again he's given me this job I cannot believe how gracious he is. It's just unbelievable. His grace to me is outstanding. I can't believe it. You would imagine that would be what's going on in his head. And I didn't get the readers to read verse 20 through to the end of the chapter. But now I'm going to read that for us. And look at what Peter does, right? Look at what Peter does. You would think that would all be going on in his head, right? You'd be thinking, unbelievable, brilliant, I'm back in. I'm back. Fishing over again, thankfully. I'm back. This is what he does. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. By the way, side note, do you not just love the way John ad- talks about himself? Do you, know, do you notice that throughout this, especially this chapter? John talks about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Stuff the rest of them. I'm the boy. Like That's like me getting up and saying, John, the elder that Jesus loved compared to the other two. I I don't know, but I find some comfort in that, that John, the writer of the gospel, was a bit, like, off, too. He was. Look at Jesus, Jesus, or, no, hold on, where am I? Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about him? Immediately, Peter forgot. He just lost his mind and thought, right, aye, that's all right. I'm back in. What about him? Focus on somebody else for a minute. Focus on him. What about him? Jesus says, look at Jesus' words. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what's that got to do with you? You follow me you follow me. So, the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not today, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not today, but it is, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is a disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know this testimony to be true. Now, There are also many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus, Peter, just completely loses focus for a moment and, and does what we all do and says, what about them? He has literally just been restored and he loses focus, and he says, what about them? And Jesus says to him, all that you should be concerned about is following me. Your focus should be on following me. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't worry what they're doing. Don't worry what they're saying. Don't worry where they're going. Follow me. Jesus said earlier in the gospel, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he says to Peter, follow me. Don't be concerned about what other people are doing. Folks, I hope it is clear as day the implications for us today. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Follow Jesus. We live in a world that is ridiculous when it comes to comparison. We have never lived in an age where comparison is so easy. Like the disciples didn't have to worry about the ground. The disciples didn't have to worry about Facebook. The disciples didn't have to worry about Twitter. They didn't have to worry about all these things that we have now that make it so easy for us to compare ourselves to others. Like literally, I can get my phone out and I can go onto Instagram and I can look at what other people, bear in mind, what other people want me to see. And I can compare myself to that. And Jesus' word to us would, would be, "Why are you worrying about that? Follow me. Don't worry about what they're doing. And we do it in so many different ways. We compare ourselves to others in so many different ways. We do it materially. We look at what they have and think, "Oh, I wish I had that." We do it relationally. We, 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 we look at because oh this drives me. We look at the Instagram photos. Of what people's relationships look like. And that's what we they want us to see. Like literally, they're cutting that out of each other two seconds before they take the smiley photograph. Like because that's what they want us to see. That's what you want that's what we all want to see. It's not real. Jesus would say to you, Stop comparing yourself to that. Follow me. Follow me. We do it so many ways. We even do it, as I say, materially, relationally. We even do it spiritually. I'm not as holy as they are. Do you you think Peter might have had an issue with that? No. Do you think Peter might have been the one thinking, well, do you know what? I'm not the disciple that Jesus loves. And Jesus says, don't you worry about him. You follow me. And so what I want to say to us today And this is not, this is not, I I love the gram, all right? I'm as bad as everybody else. I love the gram, love Facebook, love Twitter. It's out there, all right? I don't love it, but I'm on it. And it's not a criticism. But what I want to do is take the weight off and say, stop comparing yourself. Stop comparing yourself. I'm going to say, no, I was going to say that, but it's not just young people. It's not young people, because most of you aren't young. Let's just be real. I, I'm not young anymore. That's gone. It's all, it's all age ranges. Just take the weight off. How much more? Right. Straw poll. How many, how many of us think we would, be, we would be, for those of us who do engage in it, right? Let's just be honest. How many of us think we would be more content if we didn't engage in it? What I thought, some of you are lying. Stop comparing yourself. Do you know what? Do you know what? Let's just be honest. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He doesn't love the idealized version of you. He loves you. All your warts and all. All your nonsense. You. Jesus has a job for you to do not the idealized version of you not the more spiritual version of you not the better looking version of you not the i have this version of you he wants you to do a job i don't know but that fills me with absolute trepidation because look at us we think peter's bad there's literally after some of the after first service somebody said to me I have no idea how, knowing you, how you do what you do. And I'm like, I'm the same big fella. I have no idea either. But he wants you. Just as he wanted Peter, the real Peter, the boy who messed up. He wants you. Stop comparing yourself to others. Jesus would look at you this morning. He would look at you in the eye and he would say, don't worry about them, follow me. So here we have Peter restored, sent out on the mission, told not to be worrying about anybody else, just concentrating on you, focus on you, and you'll be all right. And that's exactly what he says to us this morning. Focus on yourself. Be real about your discipleship journey, because it will be messy. Following Jesus is messy, we are messy. Be real about it, but just keep going. And I love you. I love you. I love you. Let me pray first. Father, uh, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this beautiful, beautiful portrayal or, or portrayal of, of what it looks like to be a disciple. Thank you that you've shown us here in your word the reality of your restoration. The way that you pick us up after we've messed up. Help us, Lord. We need your spirit to help us. And I pray for us, I genuinely do pray for us, that we would stop the comparison game. Just just let it go. Father, I pray that through your spirit that you would do that this morning for us. Help us to stop looking around and help us to look at you and follow where you want us to go, wherever that would take us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so we come to communion and uh, worship, this time of communion and worship. And what I said a couple of weeks ago was this. Uh,